podcast of pop chart history from Slate Magazine about the hits from coast to coast. I'm Chris Melanfi, chart analyst, pop critic, and writer of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series. On our last episode, we started the celebration of Hit Parade's fifth birthday with a recap of some core principles of our show and a spin through some of your favorite artists and musical factoids. Now it's time for the moment of truth, the official countdown of your favorite episodes. A few words about our survey. We are not Billboard magazine or Nielsen, or MRC, or Luminate, or any of the other data collectors throughout chart history. Our tally was not all that rigorous. Some of you gave us a solid top five episodes list, exactly what we asked for. Some provided, generously, a top ten, more than we asked for. Many of you forced yourself to limit your lists to just five episodes, but then you included a handful of honorable mentions. I like to think of these as the bubbling under votes of our survey, kind of like that Gary Newman hit after Cars in 1980 that bubbled under the Hot 100 at number 105. Basically, when it came to the voting, we counted it all. I played with the math to accommodate everything and everyone. We were more interested in including every vote you gave us somehow than limiting voters to a strict top five. If you only ranked five episodes, that counted more than if you ranked ten. If you gave your list in no particular order, we assigned them all the same point value. And if you had honorable mentions, those counted but less than your ranked episodes did. Call our methodology a little slipshod, but I compare it to that week in 1969 when Billboard changed the Hot 100 rules to count A and B sides together in the same position, which instantly gave the Beatles... Come together. a two-sided number one hit they otherwise wouldn't have had. Somewhere in a smile, she knows that I If this Beatles B-side factoid is new to you, you probably never listened to our B-sides edition of Hit Parade, taped live in front of an audience at the Bell House in Brooklyn four years ago an evening that was packed with trivia. Which of these 1967 number one hits did not start out as the B-side to another song? A, Lulu to Sir With Love. B, The Strawberry Alarm Clock, Incense and Peppermints. C, The Doors Light My Fire. Or D, Bobby Gentry, Ode to Billy Joe. C, The Doors Light My Fire. He got it, everybody. The correct answer is C. Light my fire. Way to go, Dad. 
Doesn't that sound like fun? Judging by the evidence of our vote, maybe most of you didn't listen to this episode. There were just three Hit Parade episodes out of our 56 shows that received no votes at all. As Monty Python would say, not a sausage, bugger all. And two of them were our live episodes, the aforementioned B-Sides edition from January 2018 and the posthumous Hits edition, recorded live at the Pop Conference in Seattle in April 2019. All of these 1997 hits feature rapping by the late Notorious B.I.G., but only one opens with him rapping. Which one? A, been around the world, B, mo money, mo problems, C, hypnotize, or D, it's all about the Benjamins remix. Well, we know Puffy has to put his fingers on a lot of stuff. Right. So, C, hypnotize. And that is correct. The correct answer is C, hypnotize. Nice job. Hmm. I guess you had to be there. I'm not all that surprised our live shows don't rank among anyone's favorites. But the third totally blanked episode was our Gaga is Born edition from January 2019. That's right. No votes for Stephanie Germanata, Oscar winner. I guess Hit Parade listeners are a little gagaed out. Still, let's look at the glass as 53/56ths full. At least one of you loved each of our other episodes enough to rank it. That's damned good. Now, while I'm discussing the shows that placed out of the money, can I reveal a few surprising underperformers? Neither of our Beatles-related episodes made the top 10, including the Fab Four Sweep edition about the historic week in 1964 when the Beatles locked down the entire top five. nor our Without the Beatles edition, about the three Lennon-McCartney songs that went to number one by other artists, including John Lennon's buddy, Elton John. Indeed, when choosing your favorites, you guys seemed more interested in learning about rock and pop's lesser lights. Other episode subjects that fell well short of our top 10 included Madonna, Nirvana, Britney Spears, Billy Joel, Taylor Swift, Number Two King's Credence Clearwater Revival, both Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. 
Janet Jackson. And even Stevie Wonder. Mind you, episodes about these superstars did receive considerable numbers of votes. And anecdotally, I hear all the time from listeners who appreciate our single artist deep dives. But all of them finished below the top 20. Clearly, the most impassioned hit parade listeners are not swayed by a boldface name alone. Folks tell me that they learn a lot from this show. And apparently, what you are happiest learning about is an unusual chart concept, a new genre name, or how two, three, or even four superstars' careers paralleled each other. By the way, our episode about Cyndi Lauper, The Bangles, and Amy Mann fell just shy of the top 20, peaking at number 21. Speaking of which, what are we going to count down? Well, I figure the Hot 100 was 100 positions, and Casey Kasem counted down the top 40 of those positions. We have a list of episodes that numbers just over half the size of the Hot 100. So let's do a top 20, with special attention paid, as any chart follower would, to the top 10. So, away we go. And since we at Hit Parade are, obviously, fans of Casey Kasem's American Top 40, we're going to have those numbers sung. Number 20. At number 20 is an episode that, frankly, pleasantly surprises me with its placement, our November 2020 take on the chart history of country music, from the urban cowboy phenomenon to the amazing 90s chart run by Garth Brooks, the biggest album-selling soloist in U.S. history. It's one of our deepest deep dives, and it cracks the top 20. Hit Parade's Friends in Low Places edition. Placing just above Garth and the country episode, Number 19 is the show we did in September 2021 to celebrate a lot of 50s. Our 50th episode, a musical 50th anniversary, and uh, a certain person's birthday. It commemorated the music of 1971, a widely acclaimed year for rock, pop, and soul and one in which legends topped the charts, from Janis Joplin to Isaac Hayes, The Stones to Sly Stone, and a whole lot of Carol King. Coming in at number 19, it's our Spirit of 71 edition of Hit Parade. big jump from the music of the early 70s to the music of the turn of the millennium. Number 18. With a show we did just one month later in October 2021. 
It was about the parallel scenes of pop punk and emo, subgenres that were defining and redefining themselves as a string of punchy, bratty, brainy, and theatrical bands took their turns on the stage. Green Day, The Offspring, Weezer, Blink-182, Jimmy Eat World, Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco, My Chemical Romance, and Paramore. Taking our number 18 spot, it's the I Write Sins, Not Tragedies edition of Hit Parade. I chime in with the haven't you people ever heard of Closing a goddamn door, no It's much better to face these kinds of things With a sense of poison rationality And speaking of the theatrical Number 17 Coming in at number 17 is the twisted story of German impresario Frank Farian and the flamboyant but fraudulent acts he created that scored real, genuine hits, Boney M in the 70s and, a decade later, the infamous Millie Vanilli. Maybe Rob Pilatus and Fabrice Morvan, the Millie Vanilli frontmen, weren't singing a note on all of those hits. But the group seriously did help pivot pop toward the sounds of hip-hop at the turn of the 90s. Released in May 2021, it's Hit Parade's Blame It on the Fane edition. You ranked em, Hit Parade counts em down. Number 16 Taking the number 16 spot is one of our most technical episodes, a February 2021 show about an obscure but very real chart phenomenon, slow-growing albums that are followed by instant smash successors. It's about how Jimi Hendrix's number one album wasn't Are You Experienced, but the LP after Are You Experienced. Billy Joel's first number one coming not with The Stranger, but its successor, 52nd Street. Pat Benatar following the hit-packed Crimes of Passion with the chart-topping but less hit-packed Precious Time. All of these artists scored their first or only number one LP with the follow-up to a better-remembered classic, Jackson Brown, Boston, Van Halen, Depeche Mode, Lady Gaga, and, most famously, ACDC, who topped the chart not with the 20 times platinum 1980 album Back in Black, but its shorter-lived 1981 successor for those about to rock We Salute You. Yep, it's a high-concept show, but my fellow chart nerds love this one. It's our ACDC Rule edition of Hit Parade. Then, coming up next, a show about a band that was more like a universe. Number 15. It's the former gang of prog rockers who spun off a slew of hit-making careers. Peter Gabriel, Mike and the Mechanics, Steve Hackett, and maybe you've heard of this guy, Phil Collins. He launched a solo career and scored a string of number ones without leaving the band that propelled him to fame, a band, appropriately enough, called 
Genesis. And as I noted earlier in this episode, when Peter Gabriel finally scored a number one hit of his own, he did it by knocking his old bandmates out of the top slot. You can't make this up, folks. Coming in at number 15, our May 2019 story of the Genesis Family Tree, the Invisible Miracle Sledgehammer edition of Hit Parade. We're getting closer to the top 10. Number 14. Here's the highest placing episode about the biggest rock group of all time. One week in 1964, at the height of Beatlemania, the Fab Four locked down the entire Hot 100 top five, a chart feat that wouldn't be duplicated until the streaming era, more than 50 years later. But this rare chart quinfecta was an accident of music business history, the result of an American label losing control of the output of the kings of the British invasion. It's a story of fandom, foolishness, and phenomenal music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the second ever episode of Hit Parade, from May 2017, the Fab Four Sweep edition. Next, coming in at the unluckiest number, a guy who took nearly a decade to get lucky. Number 13. They called him the boss, but he wasn't boss of the charts in the 70s. That was the decade he got signed, formed the E Street Band, recorded the classic Born to Run, and reinvented rock for a new generation. Bruce Springsteen gave away many of his biggest would-be 70s hits to Manfred Mann, Patti Smith, the Pointer Sisters, and almost the Ramones. Then, in the 80s, well into his 30s, Bruce became the quintessential American rocker and a pop icon. But he continued to be appropriated and misunderstood, even by the fans who loved him. Coming in at Lucky 13 from July 2021, it's our Springsteen episode, the Tramps Like Us edition. One spot above Bruce is another act that, like him, spent the 70s trying to figure it all out before dominating the charts in the 80s. Number 12. It's our most recent Hit Parade episode in the top 20. It came out in January 2022. And it's about the biggest duo in the history of the charts, Daryl Hall and John Oates. In the 70s, they tried everything. Folk, rock, soul, prog, even a little disco and punk. It was only when Hall and Oates defined their own new wave music that they called rock and soul, that they began topping the Hot 100 on the regular and even the R&B chart. They were the ultimate blue-eyed soul act of their era. 
Taking the number 12 spot, it's Hall and Oates with our rock and soul edition of Hit Parade. Coming in just one spot shy of the top 10, Number 11. it's yet another story of chart success in the 70s and 80s and beyond, this time about two separate careers that paralleled each other across the decades. Elton John, the extravagant Captain Fantastic, who dominated the charts for the first half of the 70s until a 1976 tiptoe out of the closet sent his career momentarily into the wilderness. And George Michael, frontman of 80s teen idol duo Wham! Like Elton, he was a consummate pop craftsman. But George also had to navigate the shoals of pinup status on one side and his secret identity on the other. They supported each other, duetted with each other, even competed on the charts. It's a great story, our first ever Pride Month episode in June 2017, the Imperial Elton and George edition of Hit Parade. Coming up, we enter the top 10 with Goths, Gibbs, Princes, and Queens. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ever think those fables and fairy tales from back in the day are just a little bit dusty? Wondery and Tinkercast are bringing you a new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Join host DJ Fuch and his trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as they deliver remixes of fables and folktales, rhythm and rhymes, and fun spins on classics as old as time. Grab the whole family and get ready to groove, because they're putting the rap in Rapunzel and getting down with that funky duckling. Where hip-hop and fables meet, it's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to all episodes of Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now on with the countdown. For our top 10 episodes as ranked by you, I've asked producer Kevin Bendis to review these old shows and pick out a highlight from each one. Hopefully, these clips will bring back memories for those of you who voted for them and whet the appetites of those who haven't experienced them yet. We open our top ten with an episode about a wave of bands who seemed like they were never meant to be on a Billboard chart at all. Number ten. From October 2019, it's our episode about how a generation of post-punk, goth, and just plain doomy rock bands, The Cure, Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, The Smiths, Depeche Mode, Joy Division, and New Order, transitioned from punk clubs and alienated teen bedrooms to the top of the charts. Kicking off our Countdown's Top 10, it's Hit Parade's Lost and Lonely edition. In 1988, Depeche Mode signed on to be the subject of a film by legendary documentarian D.A. Pennebaker, who, a generation earlier, had pioneered the music documentary with Bob Dylan's Don't Look Back, Monterey Pop, and David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. For 101, Pennebaker shot the finale of Depeche Mode's Music for the Masses tour, whose 101st show took place at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. The film captured the extreme devotion of fans traveling cross-country to see the show, as well as the frenzy at the concert itself. Next on The Countdown, we shift from one set of British rockers to another. Only these guys blew up in the 70s, and they were not so much doomy as danceable. From September 2018, it's our story about the Brothers Gibb, harmonizing siblings who were born on the Isle of Man, raised in Australia, broke through in the 60s with the British invasion, and then, in one of the most improbable musical shifts in pop history, adopted falsetto vocals and dance rhythms to dominate the disco era. Coming in at number nine, our Bee Gees episode of Hit Parade, the Nights on Broadway edition. Every day when the Gibbs drove to Criteria Studios, crossing the causeway that connected Biscayne Bay to Miami, the wheels of their car made a distinctive chicka-chicka rhythm. Barry's wife Linda once told her husband, quote, listen to that noise. It's our drive talking. 
Barry instantly turned that phrase into a song, building the Chicka Chicka sound into its opening rhythm and collaborating on the melody and harmonies with Morris and Robin. For the finishing touch, a new studio collaborator brought in by Arif Martin, Welsh keyboardist Blue Weaver, played a distinctive synthesizer hook that recalled the synclavier playing of Stevie Wonder. It was the breakthrough disco smash of 1975. Jive Talk topped the Hot 100 in August 1975. Four months later, Nights on Broadway followed it into the top 10, peaking at number seven. More important, it had established the template for the Bee Gees in the second half of the 70s. And one thing was certain, they were bringing back the piercing falsetto of Nights on Broadway and applying it to all of their material. Next on our survey, it's another of our Parallel Careers episodes, juxtaposing two rock legends who wouldn't seem to have all that much in common. Number eight. In October 2017, just weeks after the passing of Tom Petty, we did an episode juxtaposing his storied career with that of another legend who just died the year before. Prince. Famously, in 2004, Prince joined Petty on stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for what is now regarded as the institution's greatest live performance. But Prince's and Petty's similarities go much deeper, from their fights with the music industry to their hits across genres and generations. Coming in at number eight, it's Le Petit Prince edition of Hit Parade. Prince sat with Rolling Stone for the interview that put him back on the cover of the magazine. Asked to reflect on his triumphant Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance, Prince, in his typically succinct, direct, and no-nonsense way, didn't comment upon the hall itself, or his blazing guitar solo, or even the George Harrison Beatles song he'd performed. Instead, he reserved his praise for the man who was ringmaster of the performance. Quote, it was an honor to play with Tom Petty. Free Fallen is one of my favorite songs, unquote. The admiration was mutual. Tom Petty was asked to reflect on that magical Rock Hall induction performance in 2016, less than a week after Prince's death. And, as it turns out, just 18 months before Petty's own. Petty called Prince's 2004 performance thrilling, but Petty also had the last word in the article about Prince himself. Quote, It's funny, because just a few days ago, he was in my mind all afternoon. I was thinking about him. I had just been talking with Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles. He wrote their Manic Monday song. And I was thinking about him a lot that day, and I almost told myself I was going to call him and just see how he was. 
I'm starting to think you should just act on those things all the time. Next, it's the highest placement on our survey for a show devoted to a single female artist. Number seven. Coming in at lucky seven is my mash note to 70s vocal queen and club culture auteur Donna Summer. She was a hit maker for two decades and a dance floor deity for more than three. And her collaborations with producers Giorgio Moroder and Pete Bellotti were formative in dance, electronic, and rock music. Our episode examines how Summer became the ultimate disco diva and how she transcended that role altogether. One of my all-time personal favorites from our podcast, it's our Queen of Disco edition of Hit Parade. That's I Feel Love. It reached number six on the Hot 100. But the shadow I Feel Love casts on popular music can scarcely be overstated. The brainchild of Bellotti and Maroder, I Feel Love is generally agreed to have single-handedly invented electronic dance music. While it took inspiration from contemporaneous electro-rock bands like Kraftwerk, I Feel Love was the first ever hit single with an entirely synthesized backing track. The only organic thing on it was Donna Summer's voice. Summer helped Maroder and Bellotti arrange the song's complex vocal melody because, as Maroder told veteran music critic Simon Reynolds, I Feel Love is a difficult song to sing. Next, parked just outside the top five, we've got an episode packed with even more chart rules than my ACDC rule. Number six. For decades, my fellow chart nerds have debated what qualifies an artist for the ignominious term one-hit wonder. And for about 10 years, I have had my own set of rules, whether a second Hot 100 hit should count, how high that second hit has to go to remove the act from one-hit wonder status, and what to do about a band like AHA. From September 2020, it's our much-beloved, much-debated, widely-cited one-and-done edition of Hit Parade. Not familiar with that one? This song is called Automatic Man, and it peaked at number 34 in November 1983. So, an actual top 40 hit. And it was by Michael Zambello. And the reason Automatic Man hit the top 40 was that Zambello was coming off a number one hit from two months earlier.
that, of course, is Maniac, from the Smash soundtrack to the movie Flashdance. Maniac not only spent a fortnight on top of the Hot 100, Billboard ranked it as the ninth biggest hit of 1983. And by the way, after 1983, Zambello never touched the Hot 100 again. So, I'll ask the question, is Michael Zambello a one-hit wonder? His immediate follow-up single did crack the top 40, but no offense, Mr. Zambello, Automatic Man is a footnote in pop history compared with Mania. We've got just five big ones left until your number one hit parade episode. And next, another story of the disco era and beyond. Say the band name, Chic, and folks might think of polyester suits and smooth disco grooves. Say the names Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers, however, and it opens up a plethora of hits for Sister Sledge, Diana Ross, David Bowie, Madonna, Duran Duran, Robert Palmer, the B-52s, and even Daft Punk. The chic universe of hits lasted far beyond the disco era and even formed the basis for hip-hop. From January 2021, it's our These Are The Good Times edition of Hit Parade. Of course, if that Bernard Edwards bassline sounds familiar to you, it's because you've probably heard it before, and not just on that chic song. The Good Times bassline traveled everywhere, most famously, or infamously, depending on your point of view, on this historic single. One of the first recorded rap singles, and the first period to crack the Billboard Hot 100, where it peaked at number 36, Rapper's Delight is notorious for borrowing, or biting, or let's just say it, stealing the baseline from good times. Even re-recorded, it's the same baseline. The Sugar Hill team meant to recreate good times. That was the point. I'm in love with you. Gasnova legend must have been true. I said, by the way, baby, what's your name? Said I go by the name Lois Lane. And you- Rogers still, to this day, will throw in rhymes from Rapper's Delight into his live performances of good times. There are a lot of behind-the-scenes figures in our top five. Right next to our chic episode is a story of an even more iconoclastic producer and songwriter. Number four. No hit-making mastermind has had a more specific sound than Jim Steinman. 
pounding pianos, revving motorcycles, sometimes literal thunder, and power vocalists singing passionate, almost nonsensical lyrics. Steinman fused his compositions with a singer who called himself Meatloaf, and together they created the blockbuster song cycle Bat Out of Hell, before Steinman spread that same brand of pomp rock to Bonnie Tyler, Air Supply, and even Celine Dion. Forever's gonna start tonight in our Turn Around Bright Eyes edition of Hit Parade. Debuting on the Hot 100 at number 75 in July of 1983, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart took a dozen weeks to reach number one. Rising alongside Total Eclipse of the Heart was another bombastic, ultra-power ballad from the Jim Steinman cinematic universe. Jim Steinman agreed to produce Air Supply's Making Love Out of Nothing at All and it would give lead singer Russell Hitchcock the biggest vocal workout of his life. Bonnie Tyler's and Air Supply's respective singles scaled the Hot 100 together. It was a total Jim Steinman chart conquest. The week ending October 8, 1983, when Tyler's Total Eclipse was in its second week at number one, Air Supply's Making Love rose to number two, giving Steinman, who was the sole producer and sole songwriter of both hits, a hammerlock on the top of the charts, which he held for three weeks. We're down to our top three, and I must say, I was shocked at how many people name-checked this next episode. I thought our Cure Depeche Mode show would be your favorite on the subject of alternative rock. Guess again. Number three. At the start of the 1980s, two bands with very different styles put the southern college town of Athens, Georgia, on the map as a rock and roll mecca. The B-52s, avatars of kitsch, proudly queer, the ultimate party band, and R.E.M., the college rock godfathers, with jangly guitars and elliptical lyrics. Together, these bands made Athens the epicenter of alternative cool in the 80s and early 90s. And they became unlikely hitmakers after years on the indie circuit, shifting from Rock Lobster and Radio Free Europe to Love Shack and Losing My Religion. From June 2018, one of our proudest Pride Month episodes, the Deadbeat Club edition of Hit Parade. Released as a Warner Brothers single in the summer of 79, Rock Lobster was either a massive success or a pop underperformer, depending on your expectations. 
In the United Kingdom, it scraped the top 40, reaching number 37 in August of 1979. In America, Lobster took considerably longer to break, not even making the Hot 100 until the spring of 1980, and only reaching a peak of number 56 in May of that year. Not bad for such a cutting-edge single by a brand new band. The LP rode Billboard's album chart for more than a year, and by the fall of 1980, the B-52s had gone gold for sales of a half million copies, on its way to platinum. Earlier in 1980, the band were even invited to perform on Saturday Night Live. Ladies and gentlemen, the (laughs) B-52s. Just two left in our survey, and we're up to perhaps the most referenced episode in Hit Parade history. You might even call it our earliest expose. Number two. Listeners tell me that this episode solved a mystery for them. Why, in the 1990s, were they forced to pay full price for a full-length CD just to acquire one hit song? I called it The Great War Against the Single, a decade-long experiment by the music business to eliminate retail singles and compel a full-length album purchase, from MC Hammer to Alanis Morissette, the Rembrandts to No Doubt, Chumbawamba to Sugar Ray. A slew of 90s hitmakers underperformed on or disappeared altogether from the Hot 100 because you couldn't buy their songs, only their albums. It was a tactic that led to consumer backlash and, arguably, Napster. From September 2017, our formative, podcast-defining The Great War Against the Single edition of Hit Parade. Barbie Girl, a novelty dance pop single by the Scandinavian group Aqua, built weeks of airplay before their American label, MCA, issued the single in a limited edition in the fall of 1997. Copies of the retail single were exhausted quickly, but by Christmas, Aqua's album, Aquarium, was double platinum. Within two years, the album was triple platinum. Torn by Australian model, soap opera actress, and pop singer Natalie Imbruglia, spent 11 weeks in 1998 as American Radio's top song. Torn was never issued as a single, and as a result, Imbruglia's album, Left of the Middle, went double platinum. A little bit of Monica in my life, a little bit of Erica by my side, a little bit of Rita's all I need, a little bit of Tina's what I see, a little bit. 
Lou Bega, a German-born Latin pop musician proffering a kitschy brand of modern mambo, scored a global hit in the summer of 1999 with his dance pop take on Perez Prado's 1950s classic Mambo No. 5. Amazingly, even Bega's gleefully junky record went unreleased on CD single, compelling more than 3 million Americans to buy his album A Little Bit of Mambo. Now we're up to the number one episode, the one that you, our listenership, voted for the most in our five-year hit parade survey. And let me just say, the vote wasn't close. This episode beat The Great War Against the Single, our number two show, by nearly 25%. And like Great War, it's an explainer, the kind of nerdy deep dive that, you all tell me, Hit Parade does best. It's an episode we first broadcast in the summer of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, because we had to paywall it in that challenging summer, and so many of you told us it brought you comfort that year, we rebroadcast it, this time with ads for all Hit Parade listeners, in the summer of 2021. You might say this episode has it all. Chart-topping hits, musicological backstory, a wealth of trivia, and, like the ACDC rule or one-and-done editions, a definitional explanation of a chart and musical phenomenon the world needed a name for. In this case, I didn't make up that name. Four L.A.-based actors and writers dreamed it up in the 2000s, when they shot a comical video series themed around a certain brand of real-life late 70s and early 80s smooth music, songs they could picture being played on the most high end of watercraft. And now, that invented genre that took the internet by storm is the theme of the top episode in Hit Parade history. The number one episode of Hit Parade's first five years is the What a Fool Believes edition, our story of the history of Yacht Rock. By the mid-70s, Steely Dan, named after a dildo in William S. Burroughs' Beat Generation novel Naked Lunch, had stopped touring entirely to focus on studio LPs. Fagan and Becker's albums showcased a who's who of L.A. session musicians and performers from other groups, including future Toto members Jeff Porcaro and David Page, Poco singer and future Eagle Timothy B. Schmidt, and guitarist Jeff Skunk Baxter, who would eventually leave Steely Dan to join the Doobie Brothers. Another future doobie who broke through with the duo was the uniquely Burry baritone Michael McDonald, who began singing prominently on the Dan's 1975 album, Katie Live. So, that's our number one. Speaking of which... 
Before I close this commemorative edition of our show, I want to say a word about The One, something I have invoked at the end of every Hit Parade episode since the podcast's launch. I always saw this show as a de facto homage to American Top 40 and Casey Kasem. At the end of every AT40, Casey would close with this bit of homespun wisdom. Till then, keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. It's an inspiring phrase, and maybe a slightly nonsensical one. What does it mean? Basically, whatever you want it to mean. I wanted a bit of kind-hearted doggerel like that for the end of each hit parade. And my idea, to invoke the number one hits we so often chronicle on this show, was to cross the parade image of marching with James Brown's legendary concept of the one. Previously, with rhythm and blues, rock and roll and soul music, the emphasis had been on the second and fourth beats of the bar. What James Brown did was to stress the first beat. This became the bedrock of funk music, the rhythm of the one. To the godfather of soul, the one wasn't just a way to measure rhythm in an exceptionally funky pop song. It was a cosmic concept to James. Getting on the one was a mode for living, a way of life. And that's what I share with you all at the end of every episode. James Brown was famously a little incomprehensible. So is my monthly Hit Parade sign-off. But I think you know what I mean by keep on marching on the one. I'm going to keep on marching because this podcast has so many more stories to tell. Here's to marching on the one for another five. The market square. So many mothers dying. News had just come over. We had five years left crying. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hit Parade. Our show was written, edited, and narrated by Chris Melanfi. That's me. My producer is Kevin Bendis. Kevin also produced the latest installment of our monthly Hit Parade The Bridge shows, which are available exclusively to Slate Plus members. In our latest Bridge episode, I talked to podcast producer Steve Lichtai, who helped get our podcast off the ground a half decade ago, and has his own list of all-time favorite Hit Parade episodes. To sign up for Slate Plus and hear that show and all our shows the day they drop, visit slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Check out their roster of shows at slate.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to Hit Parade wherever you get your podcasts, in addition to finding it in the Slate Culture feed. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us while you're there. It helps other listeners find the show. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to leading the hit parade back your way. Until then, keep on marching on the one. I'm Chris Melanfi. Oh,